No, I was uh, really offended by my wife a moment ago. I asked her to put my little package on here for the for the microphone, and she had the audacity to say it's really too tight. <laughs> but that wasn't bad enough. Brother Lowry was standing there, and he said, you're too fat. <laughs> so he took all the guesswork out of it. <laughs> all right, it's good to be together, isn't it, tonight? It is so good to come together and to sing, hear these specials. That little girl sang, God is so great. I tell you, out of the mouths of babes, they speak great truths, don't they? I want to uh, review with you just a moment. Tonight, at the end, we'll be halfway through with uh, the week. Sunday, I spoke to you on Sunday morning on prayer and his practice, Jesus' prayer and practice. We took uh, Luke 11, 1, when the disciples came to him and said, Lord, teach us how to pray, or teach us to pray, I'm sorry, teach us to pray. And I took all those words and, and we took them as separately and tried to explain to them or to us what he was really asking there. Lord, teach us to pray. Sunday night I spoke to you on the magnificence of prayer, and my, isn't it wonderful to pray? God has given us the opportunity to be the cause of things or to accompany him in the cause of things. Most of the time we never think about that. Monday, the first session was intercessory sought by the Lord. We learned there that we were, we were royal priests. And a priest is one who represents people before God. We took our message from 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. And talked about our responsibility of interceding. It's no small responsibility, is it? It's a big undertaking. And then last night, the last lesson was on the right spirit before God. And that lesson there sets the pace for everything else that's said. The right spirit before God, which is adoration. And I... I don't know how many times I've spoken on that particular subject, but every time I do, it just humbles me to think that I have the privilege of going before the creator of the universe, God Almighty. And so tonight, I want us to follow that with the subject abiding in Christ is words abiding in us. And we've got several more to go here. The key to believing prayer, that'll be the second session tonight, which is having faith in God. Then some selected elements of prayer, such as prayer is very costly. You don't want to miss any of this, not because I'm giving them, but because they're so important. Prayer is so costly. And the prayer and the willingness to forgive. Prayer and pleading. We've lost the art of pleading in many cases. And yet it's such a Bible, biblical principle. And then prayer in seclusion, when he tells us to go in your closet. And then number eight will be praying in Jesus' name. There were years in the pastorate that I had never researched that subject out. What in the world does that mean to pray in Jesus' name? You know, when I studied that, I became so convicted because... I was using it in the wrong way. I was using it in cases of asking for things that I should never put Jesus' name on it. 
because it didn't come from Jesus, it came from me. So that'll be one message about the last, on the last night. And then the power of perseverance and boldness in prayer. Why should we have to pray over and over and over and over? And sometimes we don't have to pray over and over and over again. There's examples of both. And then if we have time to work it in, the main goal in prayer, which is uh, to glorify the Lord, I don't know if we'll have time to get those, to get that in there. But tonight, I want us to turn to John 15, verse, uh, verses 1 through 8. John 15, and verses 1 through 8. I'm having a hard time getting my breath. That's not because I ate too much. So don't conclude that, Brother Lowry. I don't want to hear that afterwards either. (laughs) All right. Chapter 15 of John and verse 1. I am the true vine, and my father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away, and every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now you are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can ye, except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch, and is withered, and men gather them, and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, get this, you shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. Verse 8, herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit, so shall you be my disciples. God's promises and conditions are inseparable. There's promises that he made that are conditional. If you do this, I'll do this. There are promises that he made that, that, uh, that are unconditional and have no conditions at all. In this case here, this is a conditional promise in verse 7. And it tells me that if we fulfill the condition, then God fulfills the promise. You see, what he is to me, or what he is to us, let me put it the plural here, what he is to us depends upon what we are willing to be to him. He said, well, I don't know if that's a principle. Well, James chapter 8 and verse 8, uh, chapter 4, verse 8, and the first part says, draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. You see, we often don't accept this principle. See, this was said by the Son of God, Jesus himself, deity, directly relating to, a, to how to pray so that answers are assured. Verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. Those are unlimited promises, but they have two conditions. And we'll take them separately tonight to study. One is if you abide in me, and two, my words abide in you. The little phrase, abiding in Christ, sometimes uh, we take this for granted. That is, we don't take time to really study what that really means. And I'm not sure I've said it adequately, but I'll give you what I have studied about it. 
You see, according to Romans 8, 34, the father always hears his son. And to reach the father, one must be in the son and totally abiding in Christ. That's what I read in verse 7. So we're in Christ positionally by faith in the Son as it died on the cross of Calvary, and we're also in fellowship with Him. If not in fellowship, then confession is in order, and chapter 1 of John and verse 9 is in order. If, we, if you've sinned, then confess it before the Lord, and He'll forgive us, forgive you. But there's a great discrepancy when we compare the promises with the experiences or experience of most Christians. A great discrepancy. Because countless prayers rise and no answer comes and no assurances are given. Countless prayers. You say, well, Brother Zellner, how can you say this? I'm talking about myself. There's countless prayers I have prayed and no answer came and not even assurance was given. You see, prayers, though, as I said the other night, Prayers of bygone years, even from centuries past, are being answered today. John 17, verse 24 proves that when Jesus prayed for you and me. You see, but we must understand this, that if the, condi- the conditions have not been met, that is, if we, let me, let me say it this way. Sometimes when we pray and we don't get an answer, we don't assure, we don't have the assurances, It's one of two things. Either the conditions have not been met or the promise is not kept by God. This presents a real dilemma. It presented a dilemma to me when I first studied this. But because of our unwillingness to admit either causes us to devise a clever way to escape, because we don't want to to accuse God of not keeping his promise and we don't want to we don't want to say that we haven't kept the condition or the promise or we haven't kept the uh, condition that's been uh, that's been stated so our unwillingness to admit either causes causes us to devise a clever way to escape and this is the way we escape we put on if it if it be God's will this is not stated in verse 7 Those words you do not find in verse 7. For he simply says, What you will, ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. There's no talking about if it's God's will. That's not stated. There's no such qualifying clause. But in, in using that phrase, if it be God's will, God's integrity is kept. And mine is too. And that's called a cop-out. You see, if we would just stop to consider when we pray and we have no answer and no assurances of answers that are given, if we would just admit our failure to meet the condition, then we might seek to discover the real meaning of abiding in Christ. You see, the Holy Spirit would lead me to discover the secret of abiding in Christ. Again, I refer you to John 15, verses 4 and 5. He says, if you abide in me. And as, as Jesus spoke this, these words, we sometimes refer to this as the branch life. 
I'm the vine, you're the branches. But branch life, and we're, we're describing, I'm trying to describe abiding in Christ. Branch life is a continual growth process. It's a never-ceasing growth, growing process. As one grows spiritually, God's Word develops a deeper meaning. Isn't that true? As we grow, as we mature, God's Word develops a different meaning. I've been saved for a hundred years, <laughs> give or take a few. And now as I read the Word, it has a lot more meaning than it did when I was first saved. You see, this is a spiritual the growing process that we're talking about abiding in Christ as we allow the Lord to have more of us. You see, but we must be willing and we must make that choice of letting the Lord have more and more and more of us. As I said, this is a spiritual growing process. And the growing process for the Christian grows, or the, let's put it this way, the Christian grows by stages. And I'm not saying that stage one just starts, starts here and stops here. They, they work together and grow together. But for the Christian grows that comes by stages, the first stage as I see it is simply or simple believing. Believe in the Lord's commands. You take a person that's just been saved, they don't have a problem believing God. They really don't. Even with his unfaithfulness in, in some cases, even in his, in his weaknesses in some cases, he feels his one need is to believe God. As a young Christian, just believe God. But it's not long in some cases, and sometimes it is a long process, until that faith, he understands and, and discovers that it, it, it must be seen by obedience. There's some things that he must do. And in 3 John chapter 3, verse 4, speaks about Gaius, and you might want to take that passage down. You see, we see that to faith must be added obedience. This is a growing process. I, I preach on this, I say preach, I teach on this all the time, is that those of us that are ministering in churches, we have one concern, and that is that people are maturing, that people are growing, and stop becoming static. So we become aware, and again I'm talking about this faith that's seen by obedience, we become aware that we have been occupied more with privilege and blessings than with obedience and fruit. You get what I said? And there's some people that's been saved a long time that's still occupied more with the privilege and more with the blessings than they are with obedience and the production of fruit. You see, we have so much self and self-will. And when self and self-will is there, peace vanishes. Self and self-will have been tolerated or perhaps unnoticed in a lot of Christians. Self-will. We've done so much. We've done what we want to do so much and just this is what I want to do, so what I'm going to do anyway, until it's hardly noticed. But we're talking about practical obedience that the abiding develops and is maintained. Now, Jesus in John 15.10, and I won't go, for the, go to that passage because of time tonight, but John 15.10 tells us that Jesus used himself as an example. And next, though, the objective 
is to get our will changed into his will. And that is no easy task. That is not an easy task. I'm talking about a growth process. First, they just believe God. They believe everything he says. Second, they discover they need to have some obedience that accompanies that. They need to be active. And then next, they see that our will, their will, is changed into, must be changed into his will. And to be totally controlled by Jesus Christ. Totally controlled. And I know that's impossible. In our depraved state, it is absolutely impossible. You see, the fleshly nature is so powerful, as we're told by, Rome, by the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 7. You remember what that passage is, verse 14 through 25. And Paul said, I, you know, the things I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, I do. And on and on he goes like that. That's the battle we all fight. And we'll fight it the rest of our lives. So faith and obedience compose the real pathway to blessings. Faith and obedience makes up the real pathway to blessings. Before this story of the vine and the branch, Jesus stated threefold, a threefold blessing, the fruit of obedient love. A threefold blessing before this story that we've just read in chapter 15. A threefold blessing. Number one, in John 14, 16, he said the Holy Spirit will come, would come. In John 14, 21, he said Jesus would manifest himself. In John 14, 23, it is stated that the Father and Son would come and make their abode. Folks, those are blessings. You see, in obedience and love for our Lord, we open ourselves and every word of this is real important. I hope you don't mind me reading mo- most of this because I want, to, I want to say it the right way. In obedience and love for our Lord, we open ourselves, our whole being, to a conscious union with Christ and the Father. See, in John 14, verse 20, back in the chapter before that, it says, I want to read this, And that day you shall know that I am in the Father, and ye in me, and I in you. That passage deserves a lot of study. What that is, what that says to me, is my life is his. It belongs to him. And his life is mine. Folks, that's abiding. May I say that again? My life is his. It belongs to him. That is, my life belongs to him. And his life is mine. That is the meaning of abiding. You see, illustrated like this. is when he speaks, I speak. Where he goes, I go. When he stops, I stop. Folks, what I've just described is the spiritual maturing process. When Christ has full possession of us, has full possession of you, your love, your will, and your life. You say, my brother Zellner, I'm just starting. Well, a lot of us are. But sometimes we've been satisfied and just with a, a, a state of just being static, just stand still. But this abiding in Christ is a maturing process. 
Now in verse 7, it also tells, the other condition is not only abiding in Christ, but the Lord's Word abiding in you. This bothered me for a long time. I, I thought I had it down and, you know, after all, if you're a pastor, you're supposed to know everything. And if you don't know it, you make up an answer. <laughs> no, I hope we don't do that. But I used to think that as a teacher, I'd say, you know, man, I don't, I don't, I don't want to have any discussion in this class because they might ask me a question I don't know, and I'd have to admit it. No, I wouldn't admit it. I'd just make up something. So that's what I did in some cases like this. But I began to study this. The Lord's Word abiding in you. What in the world does that mean? You see, this principle needs to be, uh, this principle needs to have been learned very early in the Christian life. And a lot of times, those of us that are seniors, we didn't learn this real early in life, and therefore it's very difficult for us to learn it. It needs to be learned very early in the Christian's life. God's Word, and this is what I'm talking about, God's Word and prayer are vitally connected. That needs to be learned in children's hearts, in children's minds, in our youth's minds, in our young married couples and young a career, a career people's lives. That God's words, and I said words, plural, and prayer are vitally connected. As I said the other night, prayer is a dialogue, it's not a monologue. Does everybody understand that? Yes, yes, yes. If you don't, I'll see you afterwards. <laughs> prayer is a dialogue not a monologue. There's a lot of us that didn't discover this until way in life, way long after we've been saved. We did all the talking. We did all the talking. You see, it reminds me of the story of the little boy that stood, that spent the night with his grandmother. Came time to go to bed. And uh, she said, well, Joe said, Joey, we're going to have to have a word of prayer. And I'm going to talk with the Lord right here. We're going to kneel before, uh, beside the bed. And so they knelt and she prayed. And uh, after she closed, the little boy got up. He said, Grandmother, what did God say? Because she said, we're going to talk with the Lord. That's what sometimes we need to ask ourselves when we pray. What did God say? I'm reading the book of Ezekiel. Just got out of Jeremiah. I don't know why the Lord put Ezekiel in the Bible. Do you? No, I do. I really know. But there's so much about Ezekiel that I don't understand. But constantly, God was talking to Ezekiel. And constantly, as they were talking about in Jeremiah as well. You see, prayer's not a dialogue. Uh, prayer's a dialogue, not a monologue. You see, it is God's voice in response to mine. That's what prayer is. It's God's voice in response to mine. That tells me that I must listen to my God. This is the assurance that He will listen to me. Such phrases in the Scriptures that says like this, Incline thine ear and hear. Does that mean you've got to be at church to have a preacher to hear? No. Incline thine ear and hear. Another phrase, a scriptural phrase, give ear unto me. Another phrase, hearken to my voice. 
You say, well, we're not living in Old Testament times. I understand that. But that's an invitation to God. He said, hear me. Listen to me. You see, his attention, get this, his attention depends on my attention. You must be willing to listen or you will have no power in the words with God. Just what he said here. He said, verse 15, verse 7. You shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. I'm sorry, if you abide in me and my words abide in you. That's a big if at the beginning of that verse. His attention depends on mine. And the real test of what God is to you is evidenced by what his words mean to you. You see, because Christ's words are God's words, let's put it that way, God's words are equivalent to himself. You note that there, or note there in verse 4 and 5 of the 15th chapter, he said, Abide in me and I in you. But also note again in verse 7, Ye abide in me and my words abide in you. And I asked myself the question about this when I began to study it seriously. What is in a man's words? What's all involved in a man's words? When a man speaks, when I say man and woman, either one here, a man reveals himself. When you speak, you reveal yourself to me. When I speak, I reveal myself to you. And he gives himself and binds himself in his words or in his promises. We're talking about what is in a man's words. He sets forth his will and his authority to those whose obedience he claims by his words. And so in an employer employer and employee situation, he uses his employer, employee, I'm sorry, he uses his employee as though he were part of himself. So instead of going to empty the trash himself, he asked somebody else to do that. So what does the Lord what does the Lord do when he speaks? He gives himself. He exposes himself. He states himself. He reveals himself. But he not only reveals himself, but he in that in that big umbrella of really revealing himself, he reveals his love. He reveals his life. He reveals his will. He reveals his power to those who receive his words. In other words, he puts himself, and this is by God's choice, he puts himself in our power to lay hold of his promises or his words. Now, that's God's choice. He puts himself in in our power, and I've underlined that in my notes, in our power to lay hold of his promises or his words. He allows us to share his will that's revealed in his commands. The scripture says, the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. You see, real prayer, and again dialogue, is possible only when one is willing to hear what the Lord is saying. Or the Lord's words. You know the reason that deaf, and we sometimes call them deaf and dumb, I don't, 
I'm not trying to be disrespectful here at all, but the deaf and dumb cannot speak because, you know why? Because they can't hear. So as one hears, so one speaks. As we listen and receive God's words, we shall speak in the language that God hears. You study the prayer of Paul in the book of in the letter to the Ephesian church. Study the the uh, prayer uh, uh, Paul in uh, the uh, letter to the Galatian people or the Galatian church. He uses God's language. And to pray like Paul did in those two in those two prayers, you've got to be almost what we'd call a real major theologian. You see, Job learned as we discovered last night from Job thirty-eight one and two. Job learned that he had been talking when he should have been listening. Ah, <laughs> oh, just kids do that, right? No. Since I've become a senior adult, I can talk to senior adults, see? We senior adults do that, too. We talk when we ought to be listening. I'm not talking about out here to our friends. I'm talking about to the Lord here. Job learned that he'd been talking when he should have been listening. You compare Job 38, 1 and 2 with Job 42, verse 3. We did this last night. Now, I want to stress this one fact that we may have already concluded. Hearing is more than just Bible reading. Now, I read the Bible every day. I try to. My wife said, don't use the word try. Just do it. (laughs) But I do try to read my Bible every day. I try to read the Bible through in a year. But hearing is more than just just Bible reading. Hearing is deep fellowship with the living Word of the Bible. Jesus Christ, as He said in John 1.1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was God. It's deep fellowship with the living word of the Bible. This Bible is a living book. That's why we can read it over and over and over and we get get more and more as we read it. It's a living book. It is reading the word in the very presence of God. When I turned to the two chapters that I was reading today in Ezekiel... One thing that God spoke to me about, and that is, certainly that's talking about way back there in captivity time, but he wanted me to understand that there is a living God, and he says that over and over and over, that they might know, and I'm paraphrasing, and that they might know there's a living God. I had a church member when I was pastoring Victory Baptist, he was almost 100 years old, Brother Metzger, and he asked me one day, he said, Pastor, you'd have to know it because he you'd have to know him to appreciate these real slow talking. Pastor, what are we supposed to learn from Ezekiel? <laughs> well, that put me on a study time. And finally I discovered the, what, what, he, what God is talking about, but that's not the lesson tonight. So you see, the read, it is the reading of the Word with the very presence of God so that the living voice of God enters the heart. When we read the Word, no matter where it is, God is speaking to us. Am I right? Yeah. If that's not right, then what, what do we have the Bible for? When I read the two chapters this morning in Ezekiel, God is speaking to me. 
Do I understand everything in those two chapters? No. Do I understand every word? No. You see, it's personal fellowship with the Father that I have in reading His Word. And that's connected with the message last night, the last message of adoration. So often in the biographies that I've read of great prayer men that I call them great prayer warriors, they've said oftentimes that before they read the Word, they simply meditated before God in God's presence and shut everything else out. And then they read what God had to say. You see, it's relatively easy to ask for personal desires and to appeal to certain promises. That's relatively easy. We'll talk about that in the second, second session. And this can be learned by human knowledge. And we can just learn that, what we should ask for and what we shouldn't ask for, what, are, what, uh, what promises we can uh, count on, what promises we can't. Uh, that just comes by human knowledge. I mean, that can be obtained by human through human knowledge. But to pray in the Spirit, and that's another phrase here in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 18, and that was a passage that, that was somewhat complicated for me at one time and still is to some extent. But to pray in the Spirit, Ephesians 6, 18, is to speak words that reach and touch the heart of God. And if I'm going to pray in the Spirit, the Holy Spirit needs to direct my prayer. And not just me saying a few words. Praying in the Spirit. You see, such prayer, though, depends entirely upon our hearing God's voice. The power to obey and believe depends on hearing. This is what we practice with our children. We don't expect our children to obey something they haven't heard. They'd, they'd find that uh, pretty, well, outs- pretty funny, would it? Prayer depends entirely upon our hearing God's voice. And it's reading the living Word of God in His presence, and as we read it, understand that God is speaking to us. We're in His presence. This is His Word. You see, the chief objective is not to know only what God has said. Now get this clearly. The chief objective is not to know only what God has said. We must do, and what we must do, but that God has said it. I find myself often reading the Word of God and just kind of casually thinking about, well, God... This is God's Word, and I've read it in chapters, you know, in James. I'm in chapter 3, I think, verse four, uh, chapter 3 and 4. But the chief objective is not, only, is, to know, uh, is not to only know what God has said, but we must do, or we must know that God, and I'll get it right in a minute, that God has said it. Everything that you and I read in this blessed, inspired Word of God, God has said it. Now, I understand he, he has discussions and he has discourses with various people and all that, but, but when God is speaking, he's speaking to me and he's speaking to you. You see, it's not, it, it is not the law, nor the book, capital B, or even the knowledge of what is right which brings obedience. Now, that may sound strange, but let me read that again. It's not the law, nor the book, the Bible, 
or even the knowledge of what is right, which brings obedience. The thing that brings obedience is this, the personal influence of God and His fellowship as we read His Word. That's what got my attention when I was growing up as a kid. That was the influence of my mother or my daddy. It wasn't only what they said. It was the fact that they were there to see that I would do it. It's not the law, the book, or even the knowledge of what is right, or, uh, what is right which brings obedience, but the personal influence of God and His fellowship. That's why last night's last session was so important. We must understand and accept and think about it that God is real, and when we talk with Him, we are talking to the Creator, the sustainer of life, the one that sent His Son to die for us. We are talking, we are in His presence. And so this flippantly praying, which I sometimes do, I don't brag about that, means very little. You see, it's not the knowledge of what God has said or promised, but it's the presence of God. Himself as the promiser. We'll be talking about this in the second session. Himself as the promiser that awakens faith and trust as we pray. As we pray, we realize, oh, I'm talking to the Lord. I'm talking to God. And that's what wakens faith and trust as I'm reading His Word. You see, disobedient Christians, and I think this is true, Disobedient Christians often know what the Bible says. Isn't that true? Sure. I mean, even backsliders and disobedient Christians, they know what the Bible says oftentimes. There is no disobedience or unbelief, though, in, full, in the full presence of God. The meaning of verse 7, again, as I read it a moment ago, I don't... If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. And that promise Jesus gives himself. We must receive his words, and his will must become our will. George Mueller of Bristol, England, one of the great prayer warriors of years past, was asked, How do you find God's will? And I'll just give this to you and let you think about it. He said, the only way we can find God's will, the first step is, he didn't say the only way, the first step is to get where you don't have any will of your own. Pastor, that's hard. That's difficult. Have you ever heard the phrase, well, I'm opinionated. Don't brag about that. I'm real opinionated. I don't brag about that. So it's hard for me to get to the place where, as best I can, to have no will of my own. We must receive His words, and He will, and and His will must become our become our will. And as this choice is made, there will be a change in our attitude and a change in our behavior. You see, what God's word words are to me, my words will be to God. If I do what He says. He will do what, what I say. If his words do not influence me, then I can't expect to influence God. The saints of the Old Testament understood this condition. They understood, I think, what I'm trying to say tonight. To them, prayer was a loving response of what God had said to them. 
I take phrases like this, and I won't give the references. They, you can look them up. Phrases like this, quote, Do as thou hast said, for thou, Lord, hast spoken it. Another little phrase, according to thy promise. Another phrase, according to thy word. Another phrase, using Abraham, and I quote, So Abraham departed as the Lord had spoken. You see, their lives were in fellowship with God. And what God spoke, they heard and they did. Now, we know they were depraved human beings just like we are. They had weaknesses. They failed just like we do. So uh, let's don't even go there. What God spoke, they heard and did. Was this true with every Old Testament saint? No. Also, what they spoke, God heard and did. You see, as the Lord speaks, he gives himself to fulfill his words. He asks us to give our whole selves to obeying that word and receiving the fulfillment. So again, I come back to verse 7 of chapter 15. If my words abide in you, that's the second condition. You see, through his words, his will is revealed. And as his words live in us, his will rules us. Our will becomes an empty vessel for his purposes and for his objectives. Answered prayer depends on our desiring his words. His words living in us and his words becoming our life. That's the story of the vine and the branch life that described in this in the verses that I read earlier this, this evening. The branch life. There is no life and no growth, no maturing if the branch is not connected to the vine. Am I not true? You don't believe this? Just cut a limb off the tree. It won't be long. It'll be dead. And I close with these words here. The real reason for unanswered prayer, and I want you to put this all together. The real reason for unanswered prayer is our feeble lives. The most natural life is the branch life. That's true even in horticulture. The most natural life is the branch life. Abiding in Him and His words abiding in us. It is the words of God loved and abiding in us and becoming by obedience and action part of our being that makes us one with Christ and that fits us spiritually for touching for taking hold of God. Now that's a quote. I want to, I want to read that one more time. It's the words of God, loved and abiding in us, becoming by obedience, believing, but then obedience following, becoming by obedience and action, part of our being that makes us one with Christ and that fits us spiritually for touching and for taking hold of God. And so my challenge to you tonight, let us yield our hearts, our wills, and lives to God's words. It's only then, only then will his words, in which he ever gives himself and his promises, will be our experience. I hope you follow me tonight.
because that's a passage of Scripture that I've preached on so many times and never even touched the things that I'm talking about or talked to you about tonight. It is so vital. And don't you take away from that verse. He said, if I abide in you, if you abide in me, rather, and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will, and I'll give it to you. Don't you rationalize that. Say, well, that's not what God said. What God said is what he said. Yeah. And take it for that. Pastor, I'm going to turn it back to you. 